I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman. I am thrilled to be talking in two separate corners of Brooklyn today to Lynn Steger Strong. She was born and raised in South Florida. She teaches at Columbia and Pratt, and she lives in Brooklyn with her family. Her latest novel is called Want. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Lynn, I want to I wanna just jump right in here and, yeah. and say that towards the end of your novel, your new novel, mm-hmm. Your heroine says, I think of all the ways books have failed me, all the ways they're less than what I thought they, than what I thought. And I just have to admit that I just bursted out crying (laughs) at that part. (laughs) Tell me about the ways that books can can let people down. I mean, uh, I think maybe once you start to look out, which is to say that I feel deeply, and I'm not, I don't think I'm understating this, although this feels hyperbolic whenever I say this, but I do think that books saved my life. Yeah. Um, And I'm, you know, in a lot of ways, a lot of the other things were very complicated for me for a very long time, and books really weren't, you know, and they were this sort of space that I went to, that I could return to, that felt safe in a way a lot of other spaces didn't feel safe. Um, and so I had this sort of dogged belief in their power, yeah. you know? Um, yes. But then you grow up, <laughs> right? And in the yes. same way, I, I think that like we people, like in the same way that people learn their, their parents aren't superheroes, <laughs> you know? I think that I sort of gradually realized like books can't, feed my babies and they can't fix all the broken systems, you know, like, I mean, never has that. And it's, I can't help but think about right now, but like, you know, (laughs) even the reading lists, it's just like, yeah, but like, 
you know, and <laughs> a lot of like some of us have done the reading. You have to do more than the reading. More than the reading. You know, and and that's I, I taught I've 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 taught off and on. I've taught kids in whatever sort of awful way that you want to name them, like underserved kids mm-hmm. or kids from lower income communities, mostly black black and brown kids. And I will say that while I did not think that books could save them, the one thing that I told them and I still absolutely believe is that language is a kind of power. And there was few things more exciting to me as a teacher than giving that power to kids I knew needed it and could wield it in ways that I, for instance, don't feel I necessarily have the ability to do. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think books devastated me, but also I do still believe in language. And and your book is so many things but it it is a love letter to so many of the books that your heroine has read i'm i'm referring lynn help me out here yes um there are elements of you in this character but i would hesitate to call it auto fiction without asking you where are we in this where are we um so i mean in my head and who knows if i pulled it off i love auto fiction um but I also am really interested in the concept of the novel as like a shaped form, mm-hmm. um, which is to say like a lot of the characters sort of attributes, not least she's in her thirties and a mother and a teacher, et cetera, are mine. Um, but most of the things that happen to the character in the book have never happened to me. Um, so it's just to say like I used a sort of container that looks like me as a vehicle mm-hmm. to tell a story and create a shape for some things I wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah. So you do, I, I, I do feel like you use the character's love of books to do some real character development to like the, the, the quote from a book that you might choose or, or the description of a book that you might choose tells us a lot about her. Tell me about choosing the books that you wanted to represent her in a way. I mean, it was a lot of, you know, I think this is one of the pleasures of writing books, right? Is that it was, some of it is just books I love that I wanted Mm -hmm. to sneak in. Some of it I was sort of playing with what books are capable of and when they fall short. There are a few, uh, Nawal El-Sadawi and Mariam Abba and a few of the other writers were activists and considered themselves activists before they considered themselves writers. Um, It was obviously really important to me that there be a lot of women, a lot of women of color, uh, books that are written in translation, more just because I wanted to talk about, like, I think something I discovered a long time ago was that everything's been done before. It's just that no one showed me, right? And there's just such a breadth of versions of thinking and writing and reading and I think that about books, and I, and I hope the book also shows I think that about life, yes. you know? And, and so I think, I think, too, like, I don't think that my voice can say very much beyond the eye. And, so, and I think I constantly wanted to engage with all the ways what's most interesting to me about life 
is all the other voices that are always in my head, whether that be books or whether that be just other individuals who impact me in some way. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm answering your question. You, I mean, I think, you are. I think I would, yeah, I, I, mean, I think I would sit there and I would say, you know, is the, I think it's either the, the Jean Reese. No, no, she thinks it's the lover. And she was like, no, I was, I was, I was, it was over before it started. You know, and it's just like, what an extraordinary gift to have someone that can explain what you can feel. Because often I can't explain what I can feel, but I have these sort of extraordinary people in my head who can help me. You know, one of the greatest Um, pleasures of reading is finding someone who can articulate that thing. Yeah, yeah. And that was, I mean, that's also why I didn't want her to be a writer. Right. Um, I just... Yeah, because I think of myself as a reader first, and also I didn't want her to be bogged down with like a ri- that ridiculous dream. <laughs> Speaking of that, you hit upon a a conundrum that so many of us are are familiar with now, and I include myself in this: that we grew up with all of the privileges and all of the ambitions and the safety net is broken for us. Not even, let alone thinking about the other people whom it it never made safe. Yeah, I mean, I, I think not only is the safety net broken because that's its own thing, so many of the avenues to success are, are broken right? Because it's not, like you say, the safety net is almost a different conversation Yeah. in terms of like, I would argue we need both, but yes. it's also in terms of like how terrifying I think it feels. Like, especially I used to teach undergrads and how terrifying I bet it feels to every single parent of the students that I had who said they were going to major in humanities. Like what are the avenues through which you can right. have a sustainable life? And they just keep getting tighter and tighter, regardless of the college that you went to, regardless of your intelligence, regardless of your, and I hate this term more than anything else, but like ability to work hard. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the safety net's definitely broken, but I think it's more than that. Yes. It's say more about the systemic problems that are weighing the entire country down. Yeah, right. I mean, like, I mean, I don't, I, I, I feel, it's funny because I feel like one thing is, is that. I feel really strongly that above all else, I'm a fiction writer and I'm not, I don't think I'm informed enough to make arguments about all of this so much as I feel like a thing that I can do is I'm good at looking and I'm good at looking really hard. Yes. And so I I hope my book says some of that in terms of, no, just, just look, (laughs) you know, like these people, who you think are X are actually Y and these people who you think are A are actually Z. And like we, you have all of these narratives of all these various experiences and even I, right? Like even, even like now and knowing all of this and having written this book, there's still a part of me that's like, but hold on, shouldn't I be able to afford summer camp? You know, like, like I know my reality but the narrative that I was given with regard to what I might have access to is so deeply embedded in my body that I then keep expecting it and yes. keep being both ashamed and disappointed 
by the fact that I can't attain it, you know? And, and I think one thing that I was interested in doing in the book, and then I did this, I did this guardian column for a while. Yes. Um, and I was similarly interested in, in doing was I still feel shame about it, but I feel like if you point out that this is not an individual <laughs> shame, it has to, it has to, I hope, I hope it helps us kind of collectivize in some way. Yes. I mean, when I think about my parents' generation, they were all able to buy a home and take care of their health and get an education. And those all feel like incredibly hard beyond the reach of most people kinds of things now. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you think too, like that generation, at least in my experience of that generation, they're, they're holding so hard to the idea that they earned it. Mm-hmm. That, that that to me is, even, even with the Guardian column, like there was, a, there was a quote in the Guardian column where I said something like, but I'm too tired to get a fifth job. And somebody in the comments was like, pulled it and was like, see, this is why she's not successful. Oh my gosh. Is because she's too tired. And it's, and it's, you know, whatever. It's okay. That dude's not my friend. Right. But it's, it's, it's amazing how hard people will work to maintain their narratives about what they've earned and what they've deserved. What they deserve. Absolutely. And it's, it has to be a part of the fucking American dream to, right. to think that you can better your situation simply by sweating and yeah. doing. Yeah. Yeah. Which again is like, yeah. In this moment is especially funny because like I also have not earned and I also do not deserve what I have. Um, and I think that too, like makes people uncomfortable because yes. it's like you yes. know I don't have health insurance but I have safety and an apartment and my kids are fed and you know and an education and all of these extraordinary things that in no universe do I quote unquote deserve and I feel like the entire American joke is based on the idea that any of us deserves any version of our realities. Well that's why I love the the novel version of this because you allow your heroine to suffer and feel shamed for suffering both because she should have done better and also because she has to acknowledge that so many people have it so much worse and that 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 itself can be a, a valid feeling yeah yeah, and I think it's like, it's funny because there's been a handful of readers who sort of have decided nothing happens in the book, um, which, which, is, which is fine and I think sort of amusing. Are you checking Goodreads, Lynn? <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> you I have, have an intervention. I have. I have but, <laughs> but this was, no, but what's funny is they, they seemed actually to like the book, but what's interesting to me about, and you also don't have to like the book, but what's interesting to me about that is that part of my project was, is that all of this stuff keeps happening to her, mm-hmm. but because of her whiteness, because of her privilege, because she just can't help but keep going, all of the force of the impact of those experiences really blunted, you know? And that was always, 
the project for me was like, there's this great writer, Bette Howland. I don't know if you've ever, do you know who Bette Howland is? Yeah. She's amazing. And in her, in her obituary, I think this is right. She was, the title was Saul Bellow's former girlfriend oh. or something in this terrible, anyways, she's brilliant. And she does this thing where she constantly undermines the agency of the eye. Her characters are usually like in the projects in Chicago. And, and she just sort of, she shows all the ways that the idea that the eye should always take precedent is a sort of ridiculously specific conceit that was built by a bunch of privileged white men writing novels, right? Because yeah. the idea that the individual and the individual struggle and journey is the most important part of a story is sort of absurd in most people's lives, yes. right? Like if I experience trauma of some kind my kids still have to eat my students still have to learn you know like lots of people need from me i can't like experience the great climax in a novel and then go for a denouement for two weeks of state. <laughs> you know like i have to go to my so, job and feed my kids you in, know in, yeah, in, in this time in, in the time of pandemic that's not that's so clear yeah, that you don't just because school was canceled or camp or you just yeah. you don't get a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now is a real <laughs> version of that. Um, but we're still drag on because that's what you do. There's there's no choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I. I love that you let your heroine, by the way, I call her your heroine because we only find out her name in the last couple of pages. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's good. That's, I, I've actually really loved people's relationship to whether or not they should disclose that or not because I'm, it's, it was, the whole thing was very important to me. So, yeah. Wait, tell me more about that. No, just like the, the concept of naming, like, mm -hmm. again, I, I feel silly even saying this, but obviously the idea of language is super important to me, right? And, and to name someone or something is to me such an intimate experience. Um, and so in, in the vein of the idea that like, to me, part of the project of the novels that I like the most is that they feel like secret sharing. And I do feel like Elizabeth, the heroine is, <laughs> is sort of has just decided for whatever reason that she's going to share some secrets. She's going to tell some shit. Um, it felt like keeping that one thing close, that sort of fundamental elemental thing close and then offering it when she does to the person that she offers it to was this sort of final act of, and then it's not really a secret, right? Because like right. the person she shares it with, she actually doesn't feel a lot of, intimacy with um but she feels this other thing right that i think has to do with names right like this other kind of intimacy that's sort of we don't have language for and that we almost wish we could escape but we can't let's let's say vaguely that this might uh <laughs> refer to family yeah 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 <laughs> who, who give us our names yeah right? yeah and you're, you allow your heroine to be spiritually tired. 
-hmm. even if she really she rarely gets to sleep in yeah 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 no and i think i mean i think in some ways the the spiritual you know the physical and the spiritual fatigue to me are forever overlapping i mean i am currently i i didn't for a while but i am back i am currently and 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 the heroine and i share this getting up at four to run um and that is physically exhausting i'm exhausted all of the time um but to have that hour when no one talks to me and no one touches me and also the city is like amazing at four o'clock in the morning like magic um I don't care. I'm okay being tired. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, one of the other, I'm going to have to, you're going to have to tell me the book, yeah. but um, yeah. one of the conversations that your heroine has in the book is about a book in which small violences are happen, happen to, to a character in a novel mm-hmm. and her students are at odds about whether that sorry i'm gonna have to rephrase this (laughs) no it's okay what book was it it's magda jabo's the door yeah your heroine talks about the book the door in one of her Mm -hmm. classes and the small violences that are committed against a character in the book and mm-hmm. it seems like people have all of these different reactions as to whether small violences matter yeah. or, or who gets, who feels them. Yeah. How does that relate to the characters in your book? Well, so in the door and, and, and one of the things I think that's happening in that moment, which again, I don't want to, I mean, I'm not, that old, but it does, I think, have something to do with age, is the way that I think there's this this idea in fiction and in reading fiction and in writing fiction that to have a consequence, you have to have an action, right? Yes. And I think the brilliant thing to me about The Door is the most violent things that happen, happen through a character choosing to be passive, choosing to ignore something, step away from something. There's this thing at the end, and actually, she's at the door when it happens she's at the door and she could help her friend and instead of helping her friend she goes away to make a film and leaves her friend with an ambulance um and so to me again part of i think what the book is engaging with is if you don't look at other people if you don't act that can still be violent yes (laughs) you know um if you don't talk about things that can still be violent. And just because you're nice and you're quiet in a corner does not mean that you're not enacting a kind of violence, whether you realize it or not. Once again, I don't see any <laughs> uh, real world takeaways from this. Uh, yeah. oh, it's so much. Tell me a little bit about academia versus teaching whatever word you want to use, underprivileged high school children? Um, I mean, I think both have their pros and both have their cons. I have done both. I was interested, obviously, like much of the book is interested in this idea of 
collisions just in terms of like, you know, I have her have an interaction with a student about a type of sexual violence at the high school and then I have her have an interaction with a student at the college about a sort of sexual violence. Um, I think with regard to my being sure or not sure about the value of what I'm doing each day, I think when I taught high school and when I taught undergrads, sometimes that felt a little more solid, just in terms of like what I said to you before, the idea that I was going to a room every day and saying to human beings, you have not always been listened to. My whole job is to help you learn to be listened to better and to help to teach you to convince people that your point of view matters. And that just sort of always felt worth something. That's not to say that I wasn't exhausted. That's not to say that I necessarily felt good at that a good amount of the time, but it is to say with regard to like standing in front of those kids, that always felt good actually, <laughs> you know? Um, I think like as you go, now I mostly teach grad students and I love them. And in a lot of ways, it's, it's a lot easier, you know, right. like they are the choir. They, right. you know, they want to read Croatian writers in translation, you know, for the most mm -hmm. part. Um, <laughs> but like, because I pretty much daily sit down and say, okay, is what I do valuable? the idea of then saying to other people, I'm going to encourage you to do this thing that I question the value of every day is more complicated, <laughs> right? Yes, um, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's fun. I love my students. I love teaching of all kinds. Um, and that comes through in the book, whether you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think like there's obviously, I don't, to me, a person has accomplished something in their writing when I read it, and I'm like, oh, that was you as a book, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> for better or worse, um, yes. which is not the same thing as me being the heroine, but but it is kind of just me as a book. And then, of course, there are the um, systemic problems uh, of both <laughs> public high schools and the indignity of being an academic <laughs> yeah 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 do you want do you want should we go into that let's go into it a little let's bit let's go into that i mean on the one hand i feel like it's worth mentioning that that elizabeth teaches at or that maryland teaches at a charter school um oh right yes which to me is just is just another way of sort of <laughs> subtly indicting capitalism in another form um which i think charter schools are just you know, the idea that ends-based education is ever a good idea, I just mm -hmm. vehemently reject, <laughs> right? Like, the idea Price that... does it, your heroine. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the idea that that's what a child is there to do. Is to take standardized tests and... Is to take tests, is to get grades, is to, you know, like... A ch yeah, so I, I reject that. And I think charter schools are built on that. So even when they're well-intentioned and even when their process might seem okay at first, if their ends is the most important and if their ends they have to get to at the end of the day, there are going to be problems in the middle and the kids are going to be the ones who suffer. You know, and I just, yeah, I, did, I clearly have a lot of opinions. Um, but capitalism shouldn't be in schools. Yeah. Um, 
and and with regard to to college yeah i mean i don't i've been a professor for a long time um i think i'm a pretty good one i love teaching um i don't see a lot of avenues through which i could achieve a sustainable life um as a professor um i have friends who who have phd's from from illustrious institutions who are now doing admin work who are now you know pr consultants there's just there's there's again it's the avenue thing right like it's it's, it's not yes. available and i and i don't know i don't know how to fix it but it, again it at least feels like worth forcing people to look at hopefully in a way that feels more intimate than sort of seeing the numbers in the chronicle of higher education or hearing those stories about like the adjunct who died in their car, um, which you should probably also read. <laughs> yes. I, I'm turning this around though, because the joy, one of the joys I found from reading your book was that even though we, even though books have been a real letdown for a lot of people, <laughs> You still bring so much joy to talking about them. And um, so please let me know what you're into now, what you would like to recommend. Okay, well, I'm, I told you before we, I'm very yes. into this woman, Dasa Derndick, right now. She's this Croatian writer who died, I think, in 2019. Um, she wrote these, she has a book called Trieste. I'm reading Belladonna, and then after Belladonna is EEG. Um, it's a little bit Zabald, but hmm. she's a woman, um, and she's from Croatia, so she's, she's talking about, and it's this guy who is a, who is a, he was a psychologist, but he quit, um, and he might want to kill himself, um, and that's sort of as much as you get, and, and some of his family died in the Holocaust, and then go. And then go. Uh, and then go. Um, so yeah, it's all sorts of tangents and messy and photographs, um, and it's beautiful and, 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 and brilliant. Um, I love messy tangent books. Yes. Um, which is funny because with, with, with want, I very much wanted to write something very, very lean, but I feel really fed by these, like, just, this is, this is her pouring her brain your language. Lynn, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.